East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the great and powerful East-West Draftcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Greg. And on the line with me is your other host, Jeff. Jefferson, what is happening? What up? Hey, buddy. Today on the podcast, we've got some cool stuff going on. We're going to recap the Forcing the Issue segment that we did on our last episode real briefly. We're going to move into a new segment, which I think is going to work out really well as far as being a recurring something or other we can do. And for now, I'm going to call it What's the What? What do you call it? (laughs) What Will Wheel? For now, I'm going to call it What Will Wheel? With the hard H. Yeah, the hard H in the W, W H. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and after that, uh, Jeff and I have a discussion uh, bottled up that we're going to uncork all over your faces on instance. So, first things first, forcing the issue, Jeff. <clears throat> yeah. How did your forced decks go? Terribly. Uh, so when we recorded the first time I had done, um, two of them recorded one and posted it. Yeah. You can go watch that and watch how bad I do. Uh, I did another afterwards. Um, it went about as equally as bad. And in the last one I did, white was just super cut (laughs) from both sides, which is the color that needs to not be cut. We should reiterate that this is a drafting an ethereal armor aggro deck. Oh, yeah. Uh, in case you didn't listen last time, we drafted Ethereal Armor Aggro. I was trying to focus on white-red. I It was actually interesting, the one I did, because I watched Greg's before I did it, and my first pick was between the uh, same first pick that Greg took. Uh, what's it called? The sphere. Oh, Detention Sphere? I had a Detention Sphere in the pack, but I also had an Arrest. Ah, uh, so yeah. I, I took the Arrest, because that keeps me more open, and it's essentially the same thing. Anyway, I drafted white-red... The deck was bad. The deck is bad. Don't draft it. And it's it's silly and fun, but you can probably just draft it on color like Greg did. And uh, it'll just work better, and you won't have to rely so much on the ethereal armor. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, that the deck itself, just the ethereal armor aggro deck, it's not really that different than what you're trying to do in other colors, like specifically the Rakdos deck. And the Selesnia deck, which is play efficient dudes and get them through with some combination of removal and pump spells and auras. That tends to be what this format is all about. And the Ethereal Armor red-white deck is essentially the same, except you're really hamstringing yourself as far as what cards you have access to because you are drafting a a white-red combination that doesn't have gold cards. Yeah, exactly. So the white-blue deck that I ended up drafting, and you can see the video for it on eastwestdraftcast.com if you're so inclined, it's just a good Azorius deck, and I'm, I happen to be playing three Ethereal Armors. I was also playing some trained Caracals, so maybe it wasn't a good Azorius deck, but it, <laughs> it was an Azorius deck with a plan, you know? It wasn't anything extravagant. Yeah, and it got the job done. Yeah, it did. I 3-0'd that one. It was a Swiss, to be fair. Sure. I don't know. I, I find the opponents in Swiss to be about as equal as, like, a, not an 8-4, but like a 4-3-2-2, or, or a, a card shop. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. 
But yeah. I mean, as far as talking, like if you're really competitive and you want to see how these decks do against good opponents, then you should be playing an eight force. And I was not doing that. So anything else you want to say on the ethereal armor deck before we move on, Jeff? Nope. Uh, ethereal armor is better than I thought it was after drafting the deck a bunch. Um, just in general, but yeah, uh, it's a solid card. Yeah. But that's about it. I think it's on par with Deviant Glee. Yeah, I agree. Next up, what will wheel? That's the one. Okay, so the idea behind this segment is we want to take a look at some packs in a draft, specifically pick one, pack one, and maybe a couple subsequent picks, and see what cards we expect would wheel from that pack. I, I that is when the pack gets back to you. What packs are what cards are going to be left over, mm-hmm. and kind of analyze that and maybe why things worked out the way we thought they would or why they didn't work out the way we thought they would. And at the same time, we can kind of also analyze just the pack and the cards in the pack, uh, almost like a pick a card or if you're a limited resources listener, like a crack a pack. With that in mind, I kind of just want to jump right into it. Uh, we have some photos that I, I did some screenshots from uh, uh, an MTGO draft I did yesterday, and this wasn't an 8-4. Uh, I posted them on our Facebook page if you would like to follow along, but we'll we'll kind of note all the cards in the pack as we discuss it. Jeff, are you uh, looking at these photos? That I am. Okay, this is pick one, pack one of an 8-4 moto draft, and the cards in it are an Armory Guard, a Deviant Glee, an Annihilating Fire, a Rakdos Shred Freak, a Golgari Guildgate, Knightly Valor, Tower Drake, Centaur's Herald, Common Bond, Destroy the Evidence, Blister Coil, Blister Coil Weird, Azorius Charm, Ultimate Price, and Conjured Currency. So slam the currency. Yeah, slam. <laughs> uh, there's also there's also a mountain. Slam the mountain. That's the one. Okay. Uh, so first of all, what card would you take out of this pack, Jeff? Based on power level, I would probably take the same card you took, which is Ultimate Price. Yeah, so when I looked at this pack, my initial impression was I'm either going to take Ultimate Price or Annihilating Fire. I kind of weighed those options. Um, there's uh, The Azorius Charm was tempting, but I didn't really want to commit to a, a two-color card right away. I did end up taking the Ultimate Price. With that out of the way, I, I think that's a pretty clear pick there. I guess you could also make an argument for Common Bond if you wanted to force Selesnya. Uh, yeah, I might take Herald over Common Bond. Okay. If I'm forcing Selesny, I probably want to try to force Populate, but... Really? Okay. Yeah, I, tend I don't to, know. I tend to... I guess the thing about... You're probably right. The thing about Common Bond is that it is, in the end, just a pump spell, and there are a lot of pump spells in this format, whereas a card like Centaur's Herald, something that generates a Centaur token, those are harder to come by. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so as far as determining what we think would wheel out of this pack. We're essentially looking for the eight best cards, or the eight cards we expect to get expect to get picked, including the one that we're going to pick, Yep. and then see what's left over. So we've already talked about Ultimate Price, Annihilating Fire. I think Azorius Charm is up there in power level with those two cards. Yeah, I like the other two better, but... Me too. So what else from this pack do you think should be gone by the time it makes it back to us? Herald, yes. Common Bond, yes. Let's see, what else we got? Tower Drake, yes. Probably the Guildgate, but sometimes they wheel. And then, so how many is that? That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the eighth would probably be a Knightly Valor. 
Yeah, so we're and to look at it the other way, we're kind of looking for the seven worst cards in the pack, and that probably includes the basic land, so six other than that. And if we're going to look at the worst cards, uh, Conjured Currency, Blister Coil, Blister Coil Weird, I really can't say the name of that card, can Blister I? Blister Coil. Blister Coil Weird, Destroy the Evidence. Those are the three clear-cut, like, if those cards don't make it back to us, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, somebody's doing something wrong. And so after that, we need three more cards, and I think the next three worst cards are some combination of... Shred Freak. Shred Freak, Armory Guard, Deviant Glee, and then I guess you could make an argument for Guildgate, Nightly Valor, or Tower Drake. Yeah. Right? I would say so. So we expect some combination of those cards to come back to us. Mm -hmm. Destroy the Evidence Mountain, the Weird, not even going to try to say the first word anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Conjured Currency, and then some combination, some three of Armory Guard, Deviant Leash, Red Freak. Like, those three cards probably are the... I mean, the thing is, is Rakdos, the Shred Freak, and the Deviant Lee are both fine picks. I mean, I'd probably rather pick a Deviant Lee than a Shred Freak. Like, if, if it were me, I would say it's those first four cards. I'd expect Armory Guard, Shred Freak, probably the Guildgate, and Knightly Valor to come back. Mm-hmm. If we move on to the next photo... Wait, before we move on... Before we move can, on. Can we talk about, like, what you might pick for what we think... What you think is going to wheel. Does that change this pick at all? That's a great great thing to bring up, Jeff. Uh, I don't think it does for me. It doesn't for me, I agree. But there is, uh, there is something to be said if... If you're somebody that likes, say, a certain color combination it's possible to take like azorius charm and wheel the tower drake or the armory guard or the armory guard which are both good in uh, that color combo um or even the nightly valor which is fine besides that i mean i wouldn't take annihilating fire over ultimate price because i would think i'm going to table deviant clear shred freak since ultimate price is also good in that deck yeah so uh i don't think that changes that one at all And uh, besides that, yeah, I don't see the wheels affecting the pick. I think what's more important to me as far as this pick goes is is less what I would expect to come back and more what signal am I trying to send. Sure. So if if I take Annihilating Fire, I'm not really sending... I'm sending a good signal that, at least with this first pack, that red is cut cut and that red-blue specifically is not very well represented in this pack. Right. If I really wanted to get into... Uh, is it? Yeah. Right. Which, which is a fun deck. Yeah, I, I agree. But with that said, I tend not worry too much about either of those things really. When it comes to my first pick, I kind of just try to take the best card and one that doesn't really commit me to a narrow deck. And I think the ultimate price does that well. Yeah, it's also splashable. Yeah. Pretty much. And that was the idea. Mm-hmm. So you ready to move on? Yeah. Okay. So here's what came back: Tower Drake, Common Bond. Destroy the Evidence, Mountain, Conjured Currency, Azorius Charm, and Blister Coil, Weird. <laughs> Still can't say it. Yeah, I know. Thank God this is the last time I'm going to have to. So Azorius Charm and Tower Drake came back, meaning that essentially no one's playing Blue-Eyed at the table. And Common Bond. And Common Bond, yes. Which you did say that you'd probably rather take the Herald over the Common Bond if you were in Celestia. So that's yeah. something to keep in mind. It doesn't like seeing the common bond this late doesn't necessarily mean that we're the only Selesnya drafter at the table. No, no, no. Yeah, there's there's probably one other. 
But the fact that the charm wield when I when I think it was probably the third or fourth best card in the pack, that's kind of ridiculous. That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And even beyond just the charm coming back, the tower drake is also a good signal that that's open. And even the fact that conjured currency and blister coil weird are both here means that blue like nobody really wants it at all. Yeah, that, that I think not a, not a single blue card is missing. Is that true? Yeah, not not a single blue card. Yeah, not one. And yeah, and a, not a single white card either. No, 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 that's a lie. Armory Guard and Nightly Vowler are gone. Yeah. But I mean, Tower Drake and Azorius Charm are better if you're blue-white than those two cards. Yes. So blue-white is just wide open here. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, what Greg has taken so far does not make it so he can switch. And he's getting a common bond anyway, so. Right, and I get the common bond here. I'm really excited about that because I've already got Double Centaur, Healer. I can't say anything today. Fencing Ace, another common bond, of course, is a cord. And I've got a Transkill Promenade to hopefully splash for that ultimate price. Yeah. Now, one thing this did tell me was that because White-Blue white, white blue was open and I had the Transkill Promenade, was that I could open myself up to being blue instead of being white, with, or instead of being black on the splash with ultimate price. Sure. All right, so let's talk about what actually happened in Pack 2. We're going to kind of rewind a little bit. Pack 2? Or pick one pack. Pick one... Uh, <laughs> my brain is fried for some reason right now pack, pack one, one pick two there it is okay so after i took the ultimate prize this is what showed up in the next pack a selesnia sentry downsize cremate centaur healer trestle troll dispel pursuit of flight explosive impact horn collars chant essence backlash planes rakdos ringleader skyline predator risen sanctuary yeah first things first the rare is missing so there's no clear signal that was sent with this pack. Mm-hmm. What would you pick out of this pack, having picked an ultimate price first? I would have picked... Hmm. You know, that's a tough one. Uh, I maybe would have picked the Trestle Troll. I thought about it. Yeah. I thought about... Uh, here are the cards that were under my consideration. I was thinking about Trestle Troll, Pursuit of Flight, Explosive Impact, and Centaur Healer. I ended up taking Centaur Healer. Which is a fine card. Yeah. My thought process being that I could splash the ultimate price, and I do think that Centaur Healer is better than all those other cards I mentioned. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the best card in the pack, probably. Right. And I do like to do that with my second pick of most drafts, is kind of, again, just take the best card. And hope, hopefully that best card will play well with the first card you picked, whether it be on a splash or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really wanted to be consistent, I see I could see taking the Trestle Troll here. I think the Explosive Impact is also potentially a fine pick if you just really, really want to get into Rakdos. But after what I passed right. in the first pack, I didn't want to make that pick. I agree. I'm also really on Trestle Troll's nuts pretty hard. <laughs> You're trolling the troll? I bet I am. All right, so now we need to figure out what the worst six cards in this pack are. What do you think, Jeff? Planes, uh, That's Cremate. One. That's two. Rakdos Ringleader. Three. Essence Backlash. Four. Downsize. Five. And... Probably Horncaller's Chant, in my opinion. Horncaller's Chant, six. Okay. I think that all those cards are very viable wheel targets. I think you could also talk about Dispel or Risen Sanctuary, 
But for the most part, I agree with everything you said. I think that Downsize, Cremate, Horn Colors Champ, Backlash, Ringleader, and Planes are the worst cards in the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. One thing I, I do want to talk about as far as all this goes is that you never really know exactly what's going to wheel because, as we saw with that first pack, like nobody was in white-blue. Right. Just everyone stayed away from it. Uh, so it could be the case where, like, because nobody's playing white-blue, a card like Skyline Predator might not get picked. Instead, somebody would take the the Horn Collars chant over it, you know? Sure. If they were in green or uh, or the Risen Sanctuary. Right. Anyway. Yeah, and if, if you had forced blue-white here, I think taking the Skyline Predator isn't a terrible pick, but... Uh, I might still just take like a centaur healer. That's what I, I would do. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this pack, or move on to see what wheeled? Nah, yeah, we can move on. What will wheel? Why don't you read them off, Jeff? Downsize, cremate, dispel, essence, backlash, planes, and Rakdos ringleader. So this again illustrates that no one really wants to play blue in this pod. Yeah. Someone took horn collars chant over all of these cards. Yeah, which well, isn't, I mean, which isn't absurd. Have some Axebane Guardians or, or one. Yeah, this was this is a pretty reasonable wheel pack. Yeah. Like I didn't get anything good out of it. I didn't expect to get anything good out of it, and that was exactly the case. Totally. I mean, and Dispel I do think is a totally awesome main deck card, uh, but it is extremely easy to get a hold of. So yep, it's not it's not like people are picking it early. Yeah, I actually picked the Dispel out of this pack just because I didn't want to play against it with my yeah. Ultimate price and two common bonds. Exactly. Thus the reason that it is an awesome card. Yeah. All right, so pack one, pick three. This one is where it gets interesting. You want to read off the cards, Jeff? Sure. Uh, Tenement Crasher, Grim Roustabout, Dynacharge, Azorius Guildgate, Mountain, Ethereal Armor, Stealer of Secrets, Rune Wing, Paralyzing Grasp, Common Bond, Hussar Patrol, Treasured Find, and Psychic Spiral. Okay, there are some good cards in here. There are. And a lot of these cards are kind of on a relatively similar power level. Yeah, nothing in here is like, oh, well, this is obviously it, you know? Yeah. I ended up taking the common bond because I had the centaur healer. Mm-hmm. But I think you could say that Hussar Patrol, uh, the Roustabout, and maybe Runewing or Steeler Secrets or Ethereal Armor are kind of all on the same power level, and, as well as the Guildgate. I mean, that that those cards are useful. Yep. I even like Paralyzing Grasp a bit. Yeah. Uh, well, you're and... the dude who loves Ethereal Armor, so that makes sense. <laughs> I don't love Ethereal Armor. That's, that's oh, what I know. Oh, you love it. Uh, I actually, I'm, my favorite card in this pack by far is Steeler of Secrets, but that's just because, like, I draft Pursuit of Flight's first pick. <laughs> and holy shit, is that awesome. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that that's that was never on my radar. No, no, no. I'm just that's just an aside. It, it is not the pick I would take in this situation, but I just love that combo. It's not even a combo, but it's. I just like replacing my aura and then not feeling bad about it dying afterwards. But sure. So if we're looking at what we expect to will here, we let's kind of take this in the frame that we we have some extra knowledge now. We know that white blue is going to be open so i mean we don't know that yet but because we're doing this segment after the fact we can kind of tell like we could make a a more educated guess as far as what's going to wheel 
sure. It's like that Hussar Patrol is probably going to come back. Yeah, which is ridiculous because that card's good. Yeah, some of the other blue cards probably would too, like either the Rune Wing, the Grasp, or the Steeler of Secrets. Mm-hmm. The Roustabout almost certainly will not. Correct. Other than that, it's kind of a crapshoot, you know? Right, right. So let's back up and say that we don't know that White Blue is open. What would we expect to wheel out of this pack? I think that Treasured Find, Psychic Spiral, Mountain are are three clear cards that should come back. And so then after that, there are two more that are going to come back. And it comes down to some combination of Tenement Crasher, Paralyzing Grasp. Dyna Charge. Dyna Charge. Ethereal Armor. Ethereal Armor. Maybe Rune Wing or Steeler of Secrets, just because there are three, four blue cards in the pack, if you count Hussar Patrol. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the yeah. Guildgate could come back, too. Again, we've, we've talked about how the lands will often wheel. Mm-hmm. So, let's see what did wheel. Tenement Crasher. Mountain. Rune Wing. Hussar Patrol. Psychic Spiral. Yeah. After pick 10, which was the, what we wheeled from pick 2, it's, it's not really surprising that Hussar Patrol came back. Like yeah. you said, we know that White Blue's open. The fact that Hussar Patrol and Rune Wing and Tenement Crasher came back kind of surprised me because that means that there aren't even that many blue-red drafters at the table either. Yep. People are not digging on blue in this draft, which is ridiculous because that color is so sweet. Yeah. So the Treasured Find and the Dyna Charge and the Guild Gate all got taken over these four cards. Like, I don't really understand why someone would take a Guild Gate over the Rune Wing or over the Hussar Patrol. Well, I mean, maybe they have, I don't know, what costs one blue on the splash. I, sh- I shouldn't say I don't understand it. I just think that it, you're giving up a lot in power level by making a pick like that. I don't know. Just trying to stay open, I guess, is what they were trying to do. But Yeah, I mean, I the card that really surprised me is the Hussar Patrol. I mean, yeah, it's, it's white-blue, and I guess nobody's playing that in this draft. But in general... That card is really solid. Well, as of this pick was exactly when I just started decided to get into blue, potentially. So I took the Hussar Patrol. Okay. And my deck ended up being Bant. I didn't play the ultimate price. Uh, if you want to see that, a screenshot of that deck, you can check that out on our Facebook page as well. I went 3-0 with it. It was awesome. Nice. Well done, sir. I love the Hussar Patrol, too. I don't, I don't think that card really gets enough respect. And I think it has to do with the, the casting cost. More than anything yeah. else? Yeah. The great thing about that card is that there are so many... Well, uh, here comes a segue. There yeah. are so many goddamn instants in blue that you could be representing. And it's so... Like, people do not... Yeah, they just don't respect the patrol because it's like, well, he probably has an inspiration or a counter or whatever. And the fact that there are so many viable counters make it so they can't just sit you know, they can't just be like, well, I'm not going to cast a spell and I'm not going to attack into your patrol in case it's that. Like, they have to do one or the other. Well, well the, the thing you do is you, you cast your spell before you attack. See if they counter it. Sure. Yeah. If they don't, you can not attack and you will have developed your board. Right. And then on your end step, if they have Hussar Patrol, they're probably going to play it anyway. Just to use up their mana. Totally. But this does segue well into a discussion on instance, which is what's next on the docket, Jeff? That it is, instance. Uh, so I made a, a a comment to Greg, which I believe he disagreed with. But, uh, well, I will make that comment again now that uh, the trend that I notice for Return to Ravnica is the man who casts the most instance 
will win the game. Now, I didn't say I disagreed with it. I said I don't know if I agree with it. That's true. You didn't say you disagree. It's obviously on a very small sample size of just my games, but boy, our instance like all over the place and it just seems like every time I lose it's from just getting too many instants jumping out and screwing up my plans. Yeah, it happens a lot. We want to talk about why instants are important and why instants are really good in this format and in other formats. But before we do that, I kind of want to preface and say that we're talking about commons and uncommons for the most part, just because that's what's most relevant to limited magic. Yes. That we don't need to talk about rares, obviously, like, you know, rare instants that do sw- swingy things are very good. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves the Cyclonic Rift, and it's, like, not hard to figure out that that card is very, very good, you know? Yeah. So with that said, let's talk about what instants do that sorceries can't do. Yeah. So so any sorcery speed effect can only be played on the main phases, and instants can be played essentially any time. That's the most obvious uh, thing about them. Okay, so let's talk about why that's good. Why is being able to play an instant at any time good? It gives you a very, like, a much larger way to use the card. It, it does more things being able to play it at any time. You just have all these options in front of you. Like, you can, there are, there, how many, I actually, sh- I should have counted this. How many times are there in a turn that you can cast an instant? Probably... Upkeep, draw step, anytime during the main phase. Although if you're the opponent, you have to wait till you're... till the person whose turn it is does something on their main phase before you can respond with an instant. Like, you don't have priority at that point. A million times during the combat phase. Four, four, fa- four, four steps in the combat. Yeah, beginning combat. of combat, uh, declare attackers, declare, declare blockers. And damage. Combat or, damage. Or after damage. Or whatever. Yeah. End of combat. That's what end of combat, right. And then there's the second main phase. There's the end step. Oh, so yep. much, so many times you can cast an instant. You can only yeah. cast a sorcery at two points during the game when you have priority on your main phase or your second main phase. Yeah, and by the way, double that amount of times for instance because there are two turns. Yes. So it's just so many, just the options are crazy. Like a card can do very different things on different, Turn uh, places in the in the turn, so that's a very very big bonus. Just being able to react to your opponent's spells on their turn, or not even opponent spells, your opponent's attacks, your opponent's like every choice your opponent makes on their turn, when they pass priority priority to you and you get the opportunity to do something, anything in response, like that's a very I don't want to say subtly powerful effect because it's not subtle. It's like it's a very just blatantly powerful effect. I just don't think people appreciate it as much as maybe they should. And that is because, like, I think we've become accustomed to just always having instants. Like, it'd be interesting to go back and play some Portal games, you know? Right. Where there were no instants. Yeah, the game is very different without them. Yeah. Like, not being able to interact with your opponent on their turn kind of sucks. Like, it... You just feel helpless. Yeah, you just have to watch them do what they want to do, and then you just like, well, great. <laughs> I got to deal with that now. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Being able to react is just, it's huge. I, it's like, think of it in, in, in terms of anything. Like, not just magic. Being able to react to, if, if something competitive, right? 
like being able to react to your uh, the way. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna try to relate this to sports. I don't watch sports. Uh, <laughs> Here, let me let me give it to you in a different way. Let's think think about like board games, like a game like Risk, where you can see all the pieces on the board. Uh, unfortunately, you have to. I guess that's a bad example. <laughs> no, because I what I want to do is I want to compare it to playing Battleship. You know, you where you there's you don't really it doesn't really matter what your opponent does. All you have to do is destroy his boats faster. Right. You know. I mean, there is a reactive element to a game like Risk in that I get to place my armies in a way, like, on my turn that is in response to what you are doing on your turn. Right. But a game like Battleship, like, it really doesn't matter what my opponent does as long as I just call out E5 on my turn and I hit his stuff and he doesn't hit mine. Right. So, that's, I mean, that's a kind of a bad analogy, but it's as close <laughs> as I'm going to get off the top of my head. Welcome to East West Draftcast, where we only use bad analogies. Right. Well, I mean, ultimately, it just comes down to having more information. Yeah, information is is amazing. It's very key. I mean, in terms of like the combat step, like you can't take back an attack. Once you say it happens, it happens, and to so, react to that. If someone some, does try to take it back, call a judge. Yeah, please do. Um, but yeah, they're. There, it just it gives you so much power. Like the the opponent is essentially attacking into a question mark. They're just like, and they might not even know it, which is the even better part, right? Right. Yeah, it's just they they think one way. The game is going a whole different way than they think. Instants are awesome for that. So you you broke this down in a really cool way on our our little note sheet here. The fact that if you have an instant. You can wait to play it, therefore giving you more information before you cast your spell. Mm-hmm. You know? But you also wrote that it gives your opponent less information because they haven't seen what you're going to do with your mana yet. Right. And I thought that was a, a pretty subtle difference, but a really good point. It's And this, this kind of made me think harder about your assessment that the guy who has the most instants or casts the most instants is likely to win a game. Right. Because... If I'm if I have more information and my opponent has less because I have more instants, that's probably a good thing and that's going to help me win more games. Definitely, yeah. I mean, a good example of the the opponent has less information is like I uh, this happened to me recently. I have two instants in my hand, one being an inspiration and one being a dispel. I wait. Uh, my opponent has a, a centaur token in play. And at the end of his turn, um, when he's played nothing, I have the option of casting the inspiration tapping out or not. Uh, so, so what the opponent is doing is, is possibly has nothing to play, or he's looking for more information before he does anything. And what I can do is I can play inspiration, and if I do, he now has the information of what I'm doing with my mana, so he can then do something at instant speed if he has it. Like a populate uh, effect. Right, which is, this is exactly the thing that happened, as I said, you know what, fuck it, he, I'm going to hope he doesn't have anything. Play the inspiration, he has eyes in the skies, and, and he gets an extra centaur and, and a bird with my dispel just sitting in my hand, laughing at my face. Which, we, I mean, dispel is a blowout against eyes in the skies, because it's one mana for four mana, it's very nice. 
and I could have just waited on the inspiration. I didn't like essentially need those two cards at that moment, but uh, I was just wanted to use my mana efficiently. But anyway, I'm giving the opponent uh, like like so he's taking the like less information or more information into account when he casts his spell. Right, because at that point he has the information. The inform the key piece of information that he has that he didn't have before is that you don't have any mana available. Right. Like I was holding up for something and the fact that now I cannot be holding up for anything because I've done something, he's he's now free and clear. That's actually a pretty next level play on his part in the sense that a lot of people even in that case would not play their eyes in the skies and just wait till your end step. Sure. Sure. And that's a mistake in that case. Yes, and I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's somewhat next level play, but it is a, a fairly not obvious play. But I mean, dispel is very real. Yeah. Uh, and and so is you know uh, all all the other counters. I mean, all the other counters are playable as well. Right. Well, it's it's also important in the sense that it would depend on what else was in his hand. Like, did he have other instants he could potentially play? And it also would depend on the board state in the sure. sense, like, would he try and blow you out with a combat step eyes in the skies? To, totally. like, block your guys, you know? Yeah. And that's another case where, like, just knowing when to cast your instance is very important. Right. The other cool thing that instance can do is they allow you to bluff. Oh, yeah. Like, that's one of the biggest power, like, behind an instant is the fact that there's no there's no bluffing with sorcery speed effects. You're either, you, you either do them or you don't do them. Like, they're... It's like you you give the information to your opponent and then you and then you act, you know where where an instant is you can act and then the opponent has to make a decision before if if you're leaving mana open for a potential instant they now have have to make a decision decision and they are trying to think of what what possibly could he have you know and in that way you're able to essentially play with cards that aren't in your hand. Well, that's why a card like Hussar Patrol is so powerful. Exactly. Because everyone knows it exists within the format, and if I leave up a white, a blue, and two other lands, no one with a two, like a two toughness guy, less than four power guy, is going to attack into me, or they they shouldn't probably. <laughs> sometimes they do, because yeah. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes they do, but at the same time, it, it, it's especially nice if you have either a counter spell or an inspiration, something else to do at instant speed with that mana. Mm -hmm. because then you can, like, if they quote-unquote call your bluff and be like, oh, he must have, or not call my bluff, if they if they respect your bluff and think, oh, he's got Hussar Patrol, I can't attack here, they just go, okay, I'll play a dude and it's your turn, and then you go, end step, all inspiration. like, And they still don't know if you have the Hussar Patrol or not. Right, and so so this brings up another point, which is the more, the more instants you have in your deck, make those instants even better. Yep. They they just they they like compound kind of like each each one gets gets stronger as you get more in your deck. Um, of course, it just comes down to having more options. Right, <clears throat> having more options and having your opponent be completely like not not able to predict your your plays because yep. if they have because your 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 uh, advantage is through the less the very little amount of information that you're giving your opponent. If your opponent is clever enough to figure out what you have in your hand, that information is now gone. 
But if you have so many instants that it's just impossible to really figure it out, it just creates a, an extreme amount of power. Yeah. So let's talk about some of like the dangers of instance, the pitfalls, as you wrote on the notes. I want to I want to start off with kind of what we were just talking about, having more options. This is inherently a good thing if you are playing perfect magic. Yes. But we usually don't play perfect magic all the time, and having more options gives you more opportunities to to misplay. Right. Or uh, play just kind of slightly take a slightly less powerful line or relevant line yeah yeah i mean we brought up the 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 situation that i mentioned earlier with the eyes in the skies he could have waited for my end step to cast that card but um he he played optimally but he had the 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 most common thing that people will do with instances wait until the very last second to play them and that would be a suboptimal play because you know he's he's not dodging a counter that way right the other the other big thing for me at least is that instants typically don't develop your board at all they're not creatures and therefore if you leave mana up and you don't cast anything like in the example Jeff just used like waiting and waiting and waiting to cast your instance mm. you're not actually doing anything to kind of develop your board progress your plan towards winning the game you're kind of just sitting there waiting to react to your opponent right yeah and meanwhile like if you attack and someone blocks and you have to use your pump spell to save your creature or to kill your opponent's creature that that is blocking then that very well could tie up your man in a way to the point where you won't be able to cast another spell particularly with the more expensive pump spells like common bond like chorus of might mm-hmm. cards like that are expensive because they're powerful but because they're expensive, it probably means you're not going to be able to develop your board if and and play that instant on the same turn cycle. Right. I mean, the nice thing about the pump spells is that it will do the reverse of that. And what's the opposite of develop? <laughs> Destroy your opponent's board? Yeah, I guess decimate. Decimate your opponent's board. No, Reduce uh, by a factor of 10. <laughs> that's, that's a big problem with instant. I mean, imagine like a deck full of draw spells, instant speed draw spells, like like a deck with 40 ancestral recalls or whatever. I mean, it doesn't do anything. The deck's so you, sweet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it doesn't do anything. You have to you have to develop your board or you're doing nothing. Like if you if you like are holding up mana for your counter and you have also have an insp- inspiration in hand and then they don't play any or they they you don't counter or whatever, you draw your cards instead and I don't know. You're doing all this tricky stuff, but the whole time, like your opponent is attacking you, and yeah. you've got nothing in play. It's just like great. Like you're drawing all these cards, hold like countering all their spells, but that like two two they dropped or those couple creatures they dropped, they kill you and you lose because you didn't do anything. Yeah, like this reminds me of back in the day of, of like when I first played Magic. There was the Drago deck, which was essentially. 20 counter spells and maybe three creatures and a couple board wipers to kind of finish the game, like a couple Nevin Rowles discs, some rainbow of freets, and then just a bunch of counter magic. And your whole game plan was to counter everything your opponent played, you know, but mm-hmm. oftentimes you'd run into like a hyper aggressive deck. They would just stick a turn one play. Like when you didn't have a force spike or you didn't have a force of will Savannah Lions. Yeah. Savannah Lions, Jackal pup. And those, those creatures would just kill you <laughs> because yeah, 
you're just sitting there. Ten turns later, you're dead. Yeah, you're looking at all these counter spells and you're hitting them. Man, these counters are sweet. He's never playing anything again. But the fact is, is that he already played something on the board. And if you want to be able to beat this guy, you're going to have to develop the board in some way to deal with that creature. Like, that's not to say these Drago decks absolutely could not do that, because they could. But it was one of the, the pitfalls of the deck. Was right. that early threats, if resolved, could do a lot of damage before you'd be able to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This kind of, I kind of want to get back to the Hussar Patrol again and detail another little pitfall. And this is coming back to bluffing. What happens when your opponent calls your bluff and you don't have it? That's a pretty big blowout. Often. Yeah, yeah, it can be. And not only that, it, it lets your opponent know that you don't have whatever card that they thought you might have had right. or they thought you had the potential to have. Mm-hmm. So if they leave up or if they don't attack when you have white, blue, two other lands up and you don't play Hussar Patrol in your end step or an inspiration or you just use it goes back to your turn without you having cast anything on their turn, mm-hmm. they can probably pretty safely infer from that that you do not have the Hussar Patrol. Right. And that gives your opponent more information. Right. Which is something you don't want to do. Definitely. And this is, this happens with pump spells a lot, too, in the attack phase. Yeah, like, that's a big one. Uh, a lot of people, something that they, like, they won't realize right away is uh, they might use a pump spell in any combat, basically, that that it would be, like, killing a creature, say. Yeah. So, like, you giant growth, you're, you're 2-2 when the opponent blocks with, like, their Trestle Troll and they're tapped out. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're getting rid of that Trestle Troll, but um, the, like, dangerous part of your opponent's deck are, like, all of the, like, Ogre Gate Crashers or something that you really needed that Giant Growth for at some other point. And it's like, if they call your bluff and, and things are bouncing off each other, it doesn't necessarily mean, or not, it's, like, say it's not a bluff. If they call your, you know, they, they block... Like it doesn't necessarily mean you got to use it. It actually gives you more information or more power to not use it, because then your opponent goes, "Well, I called his bluff, or I called his bluff, and he doesn't have it, but you do in fact have it." Right. Now, see, I wouldn't necessarily call that a bluff. It's not this, a bluff in the sense it's... that, like, a two-two going into a one-four who's tapped out, like, that doesn't really, I don't know, mean anything because he's not going to attack back with his wall. Now, if right. you attacked well, in, with, is if a... you if you attacked in with a two-one. And he blocked. Well, then then you can't do what I was talking about. Not, <laughs> not cast your giant growth. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I to, it is kind of a bluff, though, because it's like saying, I'm going to trade my pump spell for your trestle troll. Yeah. And, and they have to say, is this okay for me or not? And if they decide it's not, you might get two free damage in. That's true. That, I mean, that's that's why it is a bluff, is because you're you're putting it on your opponent to decide, is my Trestle Troll worth a Giant Growth? And if they think it's not, whether you have the Giant Growth or not, you've gotten in for two damage. Yeah. Um, if they do block, then, like, I understand where you were going with that. Like, you either have the option to play the Pump Spell and just get rid of the Trestle Troll right then, like one for one with your opponent, mm-hmm. or you have the option to sandbag the Giant Growth, hold on to it for a little while, and see if there's a more opportune time to use it. Right. Now, I would argue that they're, in most cases, it's probably correct just to get that trestle troll out of the way when they're tapped out. Probably, but yeah, but it's, a, it's a good it's, it's a good point regardless. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another thing about instance. Um, this is not super important, 
but uh, something that the reason they are instants is because they are not quite as powerful as cards that do similar things at sorcery speed. So you're, you're saying that, I mean, you're not saying that they're less powerful inherently. You're just saying that typically the effects, the effects, the effects for the mana cost tend to be a little bit less impactful because they are more flexible because instants are inherently more powerful than sorceries based upon the way the game is played. Right. Yeah. You see this a lot with like burn spells. You'll they'll print some more powerful burn spells at sorcery speed. Yeah. I mean a, a fireball, for instance. Most fireballs are sorcery speed. The ones right. that are instant speed are absurd. And uh, or, or they have a drawback, like yeah, like uh, street spasm, which sure. is essentially yeah. a fireball for a creature, but it can only hit a non-flyer. Right. Uh, it does have the overload upside, which is ridiculously awesome but yeah that's that's a whole different discussion okay so you're starting to convince me jeff i hear what you're saying instants are very very good and particularly in this format so tell me what is it about return to ravnica that makes instance kind of especially good in your in your mind well the main thing is that there are a lot of them that are that are playable which is not always the case for sets uh but um in this set, a lot of the instants uh, tend to be like two for ones um, in a lot of the situations they come up in. So, give me some examples of that. Well, the so any pump spell can be a two for one. The most common one to get that, no pun intended, is common bond uh, because it can pump two creatures at once. Well, there's also the the sense if your opponent double blocks you and you have a giant growth or a common bond or a course of might that lets your dude survive. Exactly. And you know what? That happens a lot in this set. And the reason is, is because everything has such a big butt and a small power. So you'll have a lot of, you know, two fours ganging up with a two two to trade for a, a three three or something. They're thinking... Well, I'm just trading a 2-2 for a 3-3. That's all I'm doing here. It's a good deal for me. And Giant Growth says, nope, you are trading a Giant Growth for your two creatures. Yeah. And they go, ah, shit. <laughs> Removal spells allow you to do the same thing with as far as like in combat two-for-one-ing somebody, the instant speed ones, like Augur Spree, like Ultimate Price. Right. So those all that can all happen. The other uh, instant speed mechanic in the set that that is like has two for one written all over it is populate right anything that's instant and says populate is a two for one because there's no spell that just says populate well (laughs) assuming you have a creature token to populate true true yes it's like a card like rootborn defenses or a card like um what's the fog effect fogulate as i heard it described recently (laughs) i don't know it's a card that I don't see played as often. I'm seeing it played more and more now. Yeah, I mean it's not bad. Uh, Rootborn defenses, though. Uh, I wrote I wrote in our notes that uh, often you'll get two for ones with instance, um, or four for one if you cast Rootborn defenses. Because holy crap, that card has gotten me and gotten my opponents real hard. Like it's. It's a card that you really have to, like, 
expect coming and play around. Because if you make an attack without Rootborn defenses on your mind, and they can cast it, and they do, holy balls. You lost your team, and they gained a creature. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous when it works. Yeah, because like I was saying, like there's a bunch of like gang blocks happening, lots of creatures on the board. I mean, they just, you know, put the centaur here, centaur there, a couple tutus on this, and all of a sudden, you lose three, they gain one. Even just against a launch party, that card is bonkers. <laughs> I know. That's a three for one right there, right? Well, yeah, I guess so, because you get the dude off of it too. Man, yeah, yeah that card is silly good. I think, for the most part, instants tend to be one-for-ones. Yeah. I mean, uh, removal spells, counter spells. I mean, the obvious ones that are always two-for-ones are the inspirations of the magic world, like sure. any one card that says draw two cards. Yep. So you're plus one on that every time. And that's really what a two-for-one is. It's not really like you are up two cards. You're up plus one cards. You're up one card. Mm-hmm. So, what? Well, I mean, what else in Return to Ravnica makes these cards especially good to you? Most of them don't cost a lot of mana. Yeah, most of them are three or less. Yeah, they're all cheap, and that matters because this is a... It's not like a blazing fast format, but um, as I've been saying for the past, I don't know, for a while, tempo is king, and it's true for this set as well. I mean, uh, when you are the one casting two spells in a turn because you get to cast a cheap instant and develop your board... It's really powerful. And that's really what it comes down to, is what we talked about earlier as far as being able to cast an instant and develop your board on the same turn. Yes, you're using two cards to do it, but just the act, because the act of being able to get that tempo in, like to get a card with an instant, like to one for one at least with whatever instant you're casting, and also develop your board within the same turn cycle is very powerful, because it essentially just puts you ahead every time. Gains you an entire turn, generally. Because most people can only cast a spell a turn. Yep. And so whenever you can do that, you are gaining a whole turn. Uh, it's like you just time-walked. That's the new time-walk. Yeah. Instants yeah. are the new time-walk. <laughs> Giant growth. <laughs> time-walk. Yeah. Uh, um, Swift justice. Time-walk. That's fucking time-walk with life gain. Yeah. Time do it. Jesus Christ. It's like time-walk, restart the game at 20 life. <laughs> <laughs> all right but anyway the, the yeah they're all really cheap and so like you're able to to do more more things at once and, and remember like if you lose the game and you have cards in your hand you lost like those those cards did nothing those you didn't have those cards in your hand essentially yeah like, you discarded those at some point during yeah. the game if the game ends and you have cards in your hand you didn't like you didn't get all the value you could have that's not to, that's not to say you want to be hellbent as soon as possible. No, no, no. But but like the guy who casts the most spells it it has a very big advantage and and will probably win. Uh I mean like I was saying, the guy who casts the most instants, it will probably be the winner. Well, like they, they're the cheapest cards. So they're going to be casting more spells in general if they're casting more instants than you. Yeah, using more mana, casting more spells, casting more instants. All these things are tied together. Yeah, and uh, the 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 last thing about uh, Return to Ravnica, uh, we talked about pump spells. Um, pump spells are uh, a, a card type that 
is traditionally mediocre, or has been in the past. Uh, all the pump spells... Uh, well, are all of them good? Yeah, I think so. I think all the pump spells in this set are, are solid playables that um, kind of all do different things, in a way. Well, yeah, and again, having kind of a redundancy of effect, but also a variety of effects, whether it be plus one, plus one, and first strike, or plus three, plus three, or plus two, plus two, and untap, or add counters. Like, all these different things play so well together in that when you attack in and your opponent blocks and you have two different pump spells in your hand, you have the option of playing whichever one is better for based upon the blocks that your opponent made. Right, yeah. I mean, I I have done this... I don't know how many times I've played around giant growth and gotten blown out by common bond. Like it happens all the time where I think like I'm blocking more optimally because I don't want to double block because giant growth will two for one me. They instead two for one me with common bond. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus. Okay. I can't win. <laughs> I've seen swift justice do that more than anything else too. It's like, I think it is just as playable as all the other ones. I mean, I don't think it's as good necessarily all the time because you can't punch through, like, you can't lightning bolt anybody with it. Sure. But the first strike that it gives to the creature you're pumping is so huge in combat sometimes where they'll be like, I double block. And you'll be like, okay, swift justice. I spent one mana to two for one you right now. And, like, there aren't enough instant speed removal spells to punish you for playing these pump spells at all. Right, there are three of them at common, one of them costs six mana. Yeah. And, and one of them's a old card. And you can, you can kind of count some of the other cards, like uh, some of the charms and the, uh, oh, what's it called? Dramatic Rescue. Ah, yeah. So, I mean, these can all, these can all interact with you in a, in a certain way, but they're just, I don't know. We were talking about how good instants are, but I think... The real reason we think instants are so good in this format is because the pump spells themselves are very, very good in this format. Right. Like, I don't think the instant speed removal in this format is, is like, leaps and bounds better than any other format we've played recently. Right. No, yeah, it's it's not it's not better, it's worse. I mean, and that's the big thing, um, is, like, the better your instant speed removal is, the worse every other instant is becomes that that has some spells in particular yeah yeah that that interacts with creatures in some way like it, it say if there was a bunch of good instant speed you know removal all, all the cards that say populate on them would become worse because you have one creature token and you cast your populate spell and they're like well i'll kill that creature token and now your populate spell does very little or maybe nothing i love doing that by the way Oh, it's it feels great. It feels so good when you kill the the creature token in response to or before populate. Yeah. Oh my god. Because <laughs> you don't get to do it very often. When you do get to do it, it's such a blowout. You're like, yes, got him. Especially when it's with dramatic rescue. Oh yeah. It's oh, like, just... like this shouldn't have killed anything, and guess what it did? It killed two things. That card is very good. Yeah, it is very good. And it's, I think that's also kind of format dependent. Like in this format, that card is very good. Yeah. It has a lot to do with the big ass tokens. Yeah. All right. So if instances are so good and everybody wants to be playing as many instances as they can, that means you're going to be playing against a lot of instances because your opponents want them too. 
You know, you're yeah. like anybody who listens to this podcast is going to say like, oh, yeah, Greg and Jeff, those guys are the greatest. How can we play more <laughs> like them? Just going to talk about how great we are for yeah. like a few hours. Ender is great. <laughs> and so I want to talk about briefly, uh, probably not, it's probably not going to be brief, but I'm going to say briefly <laughs> about how, how do you play against instance? Like, how do you get the most out of playing versus them? Like, not getting blown out by them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I'm, so a huge thing is to, like we talked about it earlier, is it, information is is the strength of instance, and and figuring out that information before the instant is cast is the biggest thing. You like figuring out what they could have based on their plays, what they probably have because of how they've played it, and if you can figure all that out, it's like okay, great. Now I have all the information, and this instant is essentially. It's, I mean, it's still a card, but it's doing a lot less. Right. So, yeah, the big thing is that you know the possibilities, and that just comes down to knowing the format, knowing the cards. Like, after we have this little discussion, we're going to list all of the instants in Return to Ravnik, all the relevant ones, you know? Mm-hmm. So you want to see, like, what color mana does my opponent have access to? And with that mana, what instance could he cast at this point in the game? Like, if he has white, blue... Two other colors. He could cast Hussar Patrol. He could cast Rootborn Defenses. He could cast an Inspiration. He could cast a lot with that, you know. So that's a harder one to kind of pin down. But if your yeah. opponent has Black Green, the yeah. possibilities shrink by a lot. You're talking about Ultimate Price, the Populate Fog, Giant Growth, and Giant Growth Cremate, which isn't even relevant. Golgari Charm. Golgari Charm, which again is pretty narrow. I mean. It's not narrow in the sense that it has very few applications, but it's just not. it can only blow you out so many ways, you know? Yeah, it's mostly the regenerate. Yeah. Or if your opponent, like, if you're worried about Annihilating Fire, because you've seen your opponent play it and your opponent's playing red, et cetera, et cetera, but if he only has one mountain or one red mana available... You're all good. Yeah, he, you know he can't cast it. So, yeah. chill, homie. <laughs> chill out. Chill the fuck out. So... I think it's important to kind of identify the worst case scenario of what your opponent potentially could have and not necessarily always play around it because sometimes you don't have that luxury, but, but if you do, yeah, figure out if it's worth playing around it. Yeah. And, and figure out like, this is a whole different discussion, but try to figure out like the level your opponent is playing on in terms of like, if they're doing something, to try to play around what they're doing. Only do that if you think that they're smart enough to do it that way. If that, that makes any really sense. That was a really terrible sentence. Ah, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. It's it's a whole the the idea of playing levels. Like you start at level zero, and and if your opponent's playing on level one, they're gonna beat you because. It, anyway, I, I that's a whole different topic. Sorry, yeah. I shouldn't have brought it up. That's all right. Uh, so yeah, after you know like the poss- what your pot- opponent could possibly have you can evaluate like the likelihood of him having each one of those particular cards. And that's based on like the metagame mostly based upon what's what people play. Yeah. Not, not only what's in the format, but what traditionally people play in their decks. Also like what you've seen in previous games, like, and this is where like the rares and the, the uncommons become a little bit more relevant as far as like being discussed is you may not ever suspect your opponent has a cyclonic rift, but if you see it in game one, 
you know he has it when you go to play him in game two. Right. So you know that he could potentially have Cyclonic Rift. But also, like, what you passed in the draft, just because you haven't seen it yet doesn't mean he doesn't have it. He or she, I should say. So if you passed a bunch of Dramatic Rescues and you're playing against the guy to your left and he's in white-blue, like, chances are Homeboy's going to have some Dramatic Rescues in his deck. Totally, yeah. I, the thing you brought up about metagame that I, is kind of an interesting thought that I just popped in my head is uh, in formats, like, based on metagame, you can actually, like, instants become more playable if they are not played because that information is, like, that the, the information people are going to go on is metagame based. So, uh, I, I mean, I can't think of examples. Oh, this is the exact reason I still like to main deck Electricery. Exactly. People do not play around it because it's it's thought of as a sideboard card. Yeah, people expect that card to only come out of the sideboard. I love having one copy in my main deck. I, you can almost always get a card's worth of value out of Electricery, regardless of what your opponent's playing. Right. Like I, I'd always rather start that card and then board it out if I don't see enough one toughness dudes. Man, I lost two doorkeepers and a uh, what's the 06 flying wall oh yeah hover barrier hover barrier to an electricery it was so brutal why do people not want to play that card in their main deck it doesn't make any sense to me I don't know but another good example of that is dispel at the beginning of the format like when we just started playing the cards like dispel there's no way I would have put that in my deck even out of the sideboard right and you would have been correct because people weren't playing that many instances well I don't know about that I think I think the reason it became playable is because we we kind of realized like oh shit like all these pump spells are good now we can start. But I think at the very start of the format, okay, not sure. everybody was playing those. But I'm even talking about like a month in, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the metagame is very important as far as like what you could potentially expect. The other big one I want to touch on here, as far as like figuring out the likelihood of what your opponent could have, is how your opponent has been playing. Like what line of play your opponent takes. Like, if your opponent's always leaving up some mana, you got to think about, like, why is he always leaving up that one island? Does he have Dispel? Right. Does he have Downsize? Like, what's he trying to do? Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to talk about individual cases of that, but you kind of got to just get a feel for it more than anything else, I think. Yeah. No, And knowing the format has a lot to do with it, but if your opponent passes the turn without attacking when it looks like he has a profitable attack... Something's probably up, you know? Right, totally. Looking at the mana they're leaving open uh, every turn, it's it's a lot uh, more useful in, in um, real-life play instead of online, where, like, pay attention when your opponent taps their mana if they untap a land and then tap a different land instead. They might just be doing it either to fuck with you or to, like, just to be good practice, like, oh, I should keep up all my colors of mana and not tap out everything. But, like, just pay attention, because maybe they keep, like, you notice that they're, like, trying really hard to, like, always have a blue open, which really, you know, telegraphs the dispel, I guess, or or whatever they might have. Well, in this format it does. Like, I can't think of any other card they'd really want to cast for just a single blue. Right. Yeah. Or maybe they're leaving open a blue-white, and so it's dramatic rescue. Or, yeah, or Azorius Charm or something. Sure. So getting back to kind of just how to play against instants in general, keeping your opponent on the back foot is probably the best way to do it, just winning the tempo battle. Because if you're ahead on board, that means that they probably need to be developing their board as opposed to playing instants. Totally. 
And this, in turn, makes your instance a lot better because you're going to be able to attack in while they're tapped out and you have mana available. Yeah, and so you know that you won't be blown out because you're casting instance. I think this is a lot of the reason why the Selesnia deck feels like the best deck a lot of the time in Return to Ravnica is because if you're the green-white deck, chances are you have like some two drops and three drops that you can just jam onto the board and then those creatures tend to be better than a lot of the other cards that people are playing. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of Rakdos, they can't afford to... They're not blocking you anyway, so they have to commit more threats to the board to be able to attack back and race you. Right. And so that allows you to attack in with mana up while they're tapped out, and it makes those pump spells really good. Yep. Uh, going back to dangers and pitfalls, I don't think we mentioned this. Big pitfall is if you're casting pump spells... Um, instant speed removal will two for one you. Yeah. So watch out for that. Definitely. That's it. Sorry. But again, that then again, if you keep your opponent on the back foot to the point where they can't leave up mana for their instant speed removal, that'll make all your instants better, and it'll keep your opponent from being able to play those instants at a like profitable time. They'd have to like main phase them or somehow get back ahead on board before they'd have the opportunity to cast those cards. Right. If you suspect your opponent like has a specific instant in their hand you can try to draw it out as well and this is something that's kind of tough to do because if your opponent has an annihilating fire he's going to kill one of your creatures like it's, sure. or he's going to deal you three damage like that's just going to happen yeah so Re- removal is a little tougher to do sure but the i think removal is one of the easier ways to illustrate this case though in the sense that if you're if you know if you think your opponent has an annihilating fire based upon the way he's been playing or, or whatever based upon what you've seen in previous games and you have a mercurial chemistry in your hand, and you really like your your deck is kind of hinging on this mercurial chemistry getting onto the battlefield and then just annihilating your opponent. You really don't want to just jam them onto the battlefield the first opportunity you get if you haven't seen the annihilating fire yet. So it's often better to kind of play out some lesser threats of your own. Mm-hmm. Now, if those lesser threats aren't keeping you in the game, then you might just have to play the chemistry and hope he doesn't have the annihilating fire right but you can try to draw out removal with other threats you can also try to draw out counter spells in the same way right and and again like your opponent's probably going to get some value out of his or her card his or her instant one way or the other whether it's but it's you 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 want you want that person to one for one you in a way that doesn't cripple your game plan Mm mm-hmm yeah, a, a big thing with that one is like uh, you might want to draw out a giant growth early in the game. So like like I, the the scenario we brought up earlier, the, the trestle, trestle troll. troll. Yeah. Um. So say it's their turn three, and they're attacking with their two two against your trestle troll, and like you you're like, well, they might have the giant growth, but really, if they cast the giant growth, they can no longer cast their three cost card. Now they have to cast a two-cost card or nothing. And sure, they killed your Trestle Troll, but now you get to cast your four-mana spell before before they've even cast a, a three. And so, like, maybe they don't get to cast their three till turn six or whatever, till after they... And it just completely destroys that, like, advantage that they would have gained by, by curving out like that. It's like taking... It's almost taking away their mana by forcing them... I mean, you're not forcing them to, to use the Giant Growth, but that's why I brought up the, like... Maybe you don't want to use the giant growth when, yeah, when that scenario arises. But yeah, that's that's a great point though, in the sense that if you 
draw out the giant growth early, that means they're not going to be able to play the giant growth again late. Also true, yeah. I mean, assuming I mean they might have another copy, sure, but that's one copy of it that you've just dealt with. Mm-hmm. And it's a it can be a big problem. So the last thing I want to talk about as far as playing against instances, you can actually there are specific types of cards that allow you to kind of gain an upper hand on instance. One of which is dispel, uh, cheap counter spells in general, dispels negates. Uh, those cards allow you to fight other instance very well. The problem is they don't do much against other cards. Meanwhile, discard effects are pretty strong against instants in the sense that if you cast your Mind Rot in your first main phase, they either have to play their instant, like if they only have two cards in hand, for example, they would have to play their instant in response to the Mind Rot, thus giving you more information, or if they're tapped out, they just end up discarding that card and getting no value out of it. Right. There there are some other like kind of narrow cases where... Specific cards are, are good against instance, but I don't know. I don't think we need to talk about Troll Shroud or what, what's it called now? Hexproof? Hexproof, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, with that said, I, I kind of want to wrap things up with a quick kind of listing of the relevant instance in Return to Ravnica. Mm-hmm. We broke these down into categories, and Jeff, why don't you start us off? All right, so we have the removal category. Um, in that, you have the obvious ones of like Annihilating Fire, Augur Spree, Avenging Arrow, Explosive Impact, Electricery, Is a Charm, Launch Party, Selesnia Charm, Street Spasm, Tristani's Judgment, Ultimate Price. And then you have the a little trickier one in Husser Patrol, which is essentially a removal spell if you play it right. And these are all like the the things that are probably mostly going to be one for wanting, but always powerful and and uh, pretty much every time should be in your deck because that's one of the cruxes of limited is removal. Yeah. Uh, there are also counter spells, and there's cancel, dispel, uh, is it charm, can counter non-creature spells, and syncopate. Yeah, and uh, I will take syncopate over goddamn anything. That's really? Like, oh my god, it's so good. You like that card way more than I do. Like, I think it's good, but I'd much rather take half, probably more than half of the removal spells that we just listed over it. Yeah, I mean, I say, I, you know I'm using hyperbole here, but I, I, I do, I goddamn love Syncopate. Like, I will take it pretty early, and I see it table, and it dumbfounds me. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's super good. Anyway. Pump spells. Yeah, pump spells. We got a glut of them, as we said earlier. We got Chorus of Might, probably the worst one, still good. Common Bond, Dyna Charge, which uh, has some pretty sweet synergies in the set with tokens running around, or at least, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Giant Growth, Savage Surge, uh, which actually has been a little disappointing. Oh, really? I still really like that card. I like it, but uh, I still have yet to ambush anybody with it. Oh, see, I've done that a number of times. I guess the thing that is disappointing about that card is that, for the most part, in this set, you want to be using your pump spells on offense. Right. right. You want to be attacking in, representing the pump spell, and if they call you on it, you'd be like, yep, I got it. Here you go. And the Savage Surge is definitely the least impressive of all of them in that regard. Yeah. Uh, But then we got Selesnia Charm with the plus two plus two version of it, uh, and Swift Justice. 
man, I love Swift Justice. That might be my syncopate. Yeah. Like, I don't take it especially high, but I probably take it higher than most. Yeah. Like, I think it's often just as good as a Giant Growth, which is saying something, because Giant Growth is really fucking good. Super good. Yeah. Uh, there's some card draw in the set as well at instant speed. There's Azorius Charm, which isn't really card draw, it's just cycling. Uh, there's Inspiration. There's Is It Charm, which loots for two. It's not quite card draw, but the card filtering there, like digging is good. Uh, and Thought Flare, which is just totally sweet. <laughs> my god, I love Thought Flare. I love, oh man, my, my favorite deck is the deck that plays just like eight goblin electromancers in all instance <laughs> yeah and thought flare is the king of that deck where mm-hmm. you're just like thought flare costs reload three, cost three damn mana yeah yeah man it's so beautiful anyway. i guess if we're including azorius charm as a draw spell we should also include cremate as a draw spell yeah and, yeah don't play that card yeah guys. don't play that card <laughs> it is not a draw spell it is a cycling piece of garbage and then we got some other tricky stuff. Um, Azorius Charm, the uh, Excommunicate attacker or blocker version, which is always kind of a little bit disappointing. Like, is there, every mode on Azorius Charm disappoints me every time I use it. Uh, although, like, I have seen the lifelink just do horrible damage. Like, yeah. just gain so much life, it was absurd. Yeah, anyway, that's just my little aside on Azorius Charm. I still like the card a lot, because options are awesome. Right, the excommunicate aspect of it on an attacking or blocking creature is particularly good in this set, in the same sense that Bounce is, because there's a lot of... uh, There are a lot of auras running around, there are a lot of plus one, plus one counters, there's... And yeah, and there's pump spells, too, that you can kind of disrupt with it. So... Yeah. Uh, And then we got Downsize, which is surprisingly awesome it's kind of similar to a uh rootborn defenses which is also on wow get the fuck out of here (laughs) downsize is not that good no i said it's surprisingly awesome i didn't say it was good it's surprisingly decent yeah that's the same thing no awesome and decent are not the same thing it's awesome because it can two for one your opponent when it doesn't look like it should yeah anyway you're just, you're just, I'm just... I'm just a negative whatever. Nancy. Yeah, my my words are always greater than they really mean, so... Yeah. Take everything I say with a grain of salt. I just can't believe you compared it to Rootborn Defenses. It does the same thing, except... Oh, get... No, it doesn't! <laughs> I wish I could, Ex- like, reach across the United States and slap you in the mouth. Except... It oh, okay, there's an except, all right. It doesn't populate. Yeah, and, uh-huh. Yeah. But anyway, um, then we got Dramatic Rescue, which is, as Greg said, awesome. It's been real nice. It, it's it's pretty much removal in the white-blue deck half the time. Yeah. Dynacharge is on the other tricks list because uh, it's not just a pump spell. Cause it, Sometimes it's just an I win the game spell. Yeah, it's a team pump, also known as, like, oh, I get an extra nine damage in. Yeah, it's like a it's like a burn spell or a you just a combo I win card. Yeah. If you have enough creatures or if you're far enough ahead to the point where you can get in with two unblocked creatures, like even two unblocked two twos with a dino charge, like that's eight damage right there. Yeah, I, that card has actually pulled me out of some real dire situations. Like 
when I attack in, like, I do, like, an all-out attack, and it's, like, I they have to do, like, double blocks for me to be able to win this game, because they're just, like, overtaking me on the creatures, like, in terms of their creatures are bigger than mine. Uh-huh. And, and it's just, like, I attack in with everything, and I'm, like, well, they need to double block something, um, and if they do, I win. If they don't, I'm definitely losing but I just had to do the all-out attack because I was just getting outclassed. And, of course, they double block because they want the value. Yep. And, and you're just like, all right, Dino Charge, I win. Oh, like, man. Gotta love that. that shit. <laughs> um, next card, Eyes in the Skies. Uh, God, that card's been... It's good. Uh, yeah, it's a fine card. Populating Centaurs is a real pain in the ass. Yeah. If you can do that with it, you're definitely getting proper value out of it. But even the two birds is often just... Just yeah, good fine. enough, yeah. Yeah. Husser Patrol, we talked about that guy. Because it's not always a removal spell. Sometimes no. it's just like a surprise attacker for the next turn, or it's yep. a surprise blocker that doesn't necessarily eat anything, but it stops the centaur token from getting you. Yep. Yeah. The other cool thing about Husser Patrol is it holds auras really nicely. Oh, it sure does. Yeah, Vigilance is pretty sweet with auras. You know what else it holds? Civic Saber. It does. I got to, I played with that in the uh, the aforementioned deck that we did our what's what will wheel uh, segment on. Ah, interesting. Because I had three centaur healers, double hussar patrol, a dryad militant, a uh, vassal soul, and then just a bunch of other creatures that were really good with plus one plus zero, oh, like fencing ace, like uh, precinct captain, and just like even on a caracal, it's not the worst. Like it makes the caracal somewhat relevant. Sure. But, yeah, I, that's the first time I played Civic Saber, and it was decent. Yeah. You just got to have the guys to make it worth playing. Yeah, it's tough to get there. But Hussar Patrol is one of them. Yeah, uh, and then we got Rootborn Defenses, which is, like, the most absurd blowout at common. Yeah, just as good as downsides. Yeah. <laughs> no. <sighs> God damn it. <laughs> uh No, Rootborn Defenses is insane, and I have lost to that card more often than any other card in the set. Yeah. I guarantee that. That card fucking kills me. And I card hate. figured prominently into my top four in Philly. It's such a hard card to play around to. I, I even played a game where it was like, okay, like he has the Rootborn defenses. How can I play around this? And I did it as optimally as I possibly could, and it's still just like I couldn't not <laughs> have it two-for-one me. Like there was just no way that he wasn't getting the two-for-one, even when I knew it was coming. Which is so insane. Like, that card is so annoying. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and then the last card is Slesny Charm because it is also a creature. Yep, you can flash in a creature. Uh, I do have one more card for the list. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. Druid's Deliverance. Which there is, it is. That's yeah. the fog. And it's not really a fog. It's prevent all combat damage that will be dealt to you and populate. Yeah, which is really interesting because I've had it cast on my opponent's attack step by my opponent. Just to populate? Well, because like his po- his tr- creature tokens were dying in combat, and I I didn't realize what was happening. Okay. Like, he's fog like because I, I didn't realize what the card actually did. I'm like he's <laughs> fogging his attack. Like, card is relevant, and I've seen more people playing it as the formats kind of progressed. But it is right. like, only in the populate decks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the list. Um, we might have missed something. I'm not. I didn't actually look through all the cards, but whatever. You you people will let us know if we miss something. <laughs> I don't uh, think we really did. Yeah. If, well, if we miss something, or we missed like 
the blue red spell. I forget what it's oh, called. Oh, chemistry's trick. There you go. Chemistry's that trick. actually is another one that's like pretty relevant. And I guess yeah. you count that as in the other tricks category. Yeah. So, yeah. all right, that's good enough for me though. Uh, what do you say we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Yeah, you've been listening to East West Draftcast. My name is Greg. I'm one of your hosts. You can find me on Twitter at EWDraftcast. Jeff's Twitter handle is at JeffEWDC. We're also on Facebook. If you go there and search for us, you'll find us. Uh, I've got the photos posted from uh, the What We Will segment on there. If you want to check those out or comment just on the picks in general. Uh, a lot of people, like as soon as I posted them, some people were chiming in on, oh, I think you should take this card. I think you should take this card, et cetera, et cetera. One guy said you should take Tower Drake out of the first pack, which is probably incorrect. Yeah, Zorius Charm seems better. Yep. And we have a website, eastwestdraftcast.com. Uh, last but not least, you can email us. Our address is eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. Uh, this was a fun show, Jeff. I like the new segment. I hope we do it again soon. I agree. I'm, I have a new name to propose for it. Great. What is it? What will Wheaton would wheel? What will Wheaton would wheel? That's the one. He does play magic, I hear. Uh, he's a gamer in general, yeah. Yeah. Well, this one goes out to you, Will Wheaton. I'm Thanks. sure he listens to the yeah. podcast. Thanks for listening, buddy. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> for whenever you're ready, Jeff. Draft cast out. Nice. Nice.